Hey, hey. Hey there, Danny. Hello. So, in last week's episode, we touched on Sasha Baron Cohen's latest project, the arch satirist comic legend, the Grimsby elephant vagina man himself. (laughs) Incredible. um, Who had uh, dropped a little teaser for something called Who is America? Uh, Something about graduating from Trump University. Looked like he was going to own Trump. Unfortunately, by the time our episode was released, he had also released his project, thus rendering our speculation completely irrelevant and out of date. And the turnaround times on the marketing on all these things now is ridiculous. Everyone's trying to catch some kind of viral wave rather than just being a normal person, announcing your project well in advance so people have time to discuss it. Exactly. Cultural critics like us can really sink our teeth into things. Stop doing this. It's making our lives very inconvenient. So uh, I haven't seen this, Danny, but I understand that you have. I have. I watched the first episode. And what's your verdict? I would call it bad. <laughs> it's not very good. I feel it's it's a very dated show. What's uh, the, so what's what's the sort of premise of it? The premise is that now he's become so famous that he can't wind up people in the way he used to do by just having a different haircut. He has to have huge prosthetics so he looks different. Yeah, he looks like a man wearing prosthetics, really. He, but looks, like it, a, he looks like a fox, fox catcher character. Yeah, exactly. And he has these new characters. One of them is a sort of crazy Trump conspiracy theorist called some called I'm fucking stupid Stetson wearing <laughs> dumb fuck or something. Who like runs a website called TruthLibrary.org. And uh, in the first episode, he talks to Bernie Sanders and he just sort of like says some weird stuff. And Bernie Sanders is like, "Okay, you're a bit odd." Yeah, I've, I've seen that clip. And then there's a character who is like a parody of a SJW, Hillary-loving, hippie, liberty liberty, liberty guy? A liberty guy! <laughs> um, and he goes to meet some Republicans. And like, in this sort of VT introducing him, he's like, I am a cisgender, white, heterosexual male, and I apologize for that. He's like... Owned. The libs got owned. The libs got owned. He's owning everybody. Yeah. He owns everybody. He, trig- he triggers the snowflakes. And then the one which is like, was released with a sort of like extended look youtube video that went a bit viral was um this israeli guy who loves guns and talks to a bunch of nra guys about getting um toddlers to have guns to protect them in schools yes i've seen this as well but it's basically the people who are sort of normal look a bit confused and a bit awkward and but are quite polite and the people who are crazy and insane he can easily goad into saying crazy and insane stuff so it doesn't really feel at all relevant. I'm not really sure what his angle is. Like crazy people are crazy and normal people are normal. And it all feels a bit dated. And especially because this, none of this is surprising. Maybe like 20 years ago, or maybe I say 10 years ago. I don't know. When did the right become so emboldened? But there's, there's no shame to these opinions anymore. They're, they're so in the mainstream now that... Yeah. And that, that also the, the entire style of comedy, that sort of like South Park kind of... Uh, you're all ridiculous. Yeah, fuck yeah. you all like... Uh, form of anarchic uh, it's not really anarchic it's actually quite sort of conservative but you know pretend anarchic comedy just feels completely out of touch with the the current climate like yeah absolutely you know is he what next week's one he like talks to ice agents as they're like rounding up kids and gets them to say dumb shit or something yeah yeah so it's like it just feels like ridiculous like you know feels like nothing also he's just hasn't got that much range as an actor or as a performer so I don't know. It just like they're not that convincing. They're not like very complete creations. And the way I don't know if like Ali G and Bora are the greatest, but they they feel a bit more worked out than yeah. these ones, where it feels a bit like how do 
parody America. There's a sort of stupid conspiracy theorist, and there's an SJW, and there's an insane gun guy. Okey doke, job done, commission that. So it's like, it feels very yeah. tossed away, really, like tossed off. Ripped from the headlines, Danny, that's what it is. Yeah, the, America loves guns, and they uh, are also the Trump supporters and morons. And also, if you've been to a college campus lately, you can't even uh, rape a student without them like having an outcry about it. So. Yeah. Hey, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything, as Chucky D once said in <laughs> Harder Than You Think, a Public Enemy. Well, that's quite right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think Sasha has a lot to learn from that Chucky D line. <laughs> Is it Chucky D? I don't know. I don't really know the. I'm this, not sure. Okay, this could be embarrassing if we got this wrong. Because I just know that bit at the beginning where he's like, yeah, Chucky D, like, he swears you're nice, he knows you're nice. Who are the members of uh, Public Enemy? Chuck, Chuck D. So Chuck D. Yeah. Well, in the song I'm referencing, he flavor flavor first him as Chucky e. D. I see. Okay. So maybe it's, maybe his friends call him Chucky e. D. That's but... probably also a, a you know a legitimate vari- variation. Okay. I was a bit worried. I was like the whitest guy in the world there, like misquoting some. Like, There's actually <laughs> nothing remotely white about us or that exchange. Um, talking of <laughs> things. <laughs> Smooth segue, an all-purpose segue. There's no scenario when that's not appropriate. I have a dog called Smooth Segue. Talking of cats, um, (laughs) what's this podcast about? Glad you asked, Danny. It's a podcast all about me. It's just all about me. Um, I'm a crippled man who is in a wheelchair from injuries I sustained in the Gulf War, and I'm searching New Orleans (laughs) for my friend Danny so a documentary crew can follow him. They find him passed out on the street. Danny, an alcoholic and drug abuser, is in a downward spiral and spends most of his time partying with his friends. His estranged ex-wife, Doreen, has filed a restraining order against him and taken sole custody of their young son, Rex. I want Danny to clean up and get sober, but Danny only makes empty promises to eventually get his life together. Lucas, a science teacher at the local community college, performs regular tests on Danny, who has telekinetic powers, the ability to... Move objects with his mind. Lucas cannot explain this, except that Danny has a slightly different brain structure than ordinary people. Danny will not see a specialist, despite Lucas's urging. Besides Lucas' tests, Danny uses his powers to perform street shows for drug money. I, however, blame the local drug dealer, Nathan, of being behind violence in the neighbourhood, and I do not like that man. This is echoed by Jimmy, a local cop. All in the podcast. Uh, after a night of hard partying, Danny's heart stops, and when he wakes up, the doctors tell him that he was clinically dead for several minutes changed by this experience danny announces that he intends to become sober for the sake of rex his son if you have been following this <laughs> impressed jimmy that's the local cop we referred to earlier requests that danny help clean up the neighborhood after practicing his abilities danny confronts nathan's gang and threatens them nathan has me shot in retaliation uh, after i tell danny to leave me alone danny falls back into alcoholism and parties with a friend who was recently released from jail is what i would be saying if this was a adaptation of American Hero, directed by Nick Love, which, according to Wikipedia, had a budget of $1 million and a box office taking of $26. Instead, this is a podcast about films and so on. I'm Sam Foster, and joining me, guys, basically like Hancock from that Will Smith film Hancock, but he just didn't make as much money at the <laughs> box office. Danny Moran. That's me. So, on this week's episode, we review The Incredibles 2, the sequel to the beloved 2004 original, original about how you should respect the super powerful as long as they were born with superpowers if they've accumulated power 
using, you know, just intelligence or something. They're obviously evil and stay the fuck away from anybody who's good with technology. Unless they're using that technology to benefit somebody with superpowers, in which case they're probably fine. A lot to unpack in this movie. A lot of layers, a lot of stuff to talk about. Plus, a discussion of exciting sounding new film from art house director Jim Jamush, and an even more exciting film from not very good director Todd Phillips. All of which should leave me just enough time for me to perform a high speed medley of all the ABBA songs that aren't featured in Mamma Mia or Mamma Mia 2, Here We Go Again. We're talking real B side material here. I'm going to start with I Saw It in the Mirror, and then Nina, Pretty Ballerina. Then me and Bobby and Bobby's brother sitting in the palm tree, bang a boomerang, dum dum diddle, soldier, and I'm gonna cap it off with I'm a marinette. Yeah, are you sure, aren't these all Rolf Harris songs? <laughs> Quite possibly. Oh wait a second, I've confused my notes there. I'm preparing for a high speed medley of Rolf Harris. Yeah, cancel my concert to date. <laughs> They just realised. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, they're all Rolf Harris songs. <laughs> oh, crap. <laughs> oh, crap. <laughs> no, that sounds great, man. I can't wait. Yeah, I'm sure you're going to knock it out of the park. Break a leg. Thanks. So, at the end of last week's episode, we were talking about the, the weather, because we just run out of everything else to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, uh, and it was very hot at the time. It's still hot. I don't like it. I'm getting sweaty a lot. Can't, my sleeping is being disrupted. Uh, it's, it's awful. That's no, not that bad, but I'm, I'm looking forward to it raining again. Anyway, um, we were throwing out there the question of what your favourite uh, film about heat is, or your, your favourite hotness film, or the most hot film out there. Uh, and conversely, uh, your favourite cold film. And we got two responses to this. One of them is from our regular correspondent, Hoppo, on Twitter, who says, Best hot film, Heat, 1995. Best cold film, Frozen, 2013. Um, and he says, Sorry, more seriously. Thank you, Hoppo. We don't want a joke answer. We're looking no, for no, your no, real no. thoughts about this. Uh, he offers Do the Right Thing, 1989, and Fargo, 1996. Uh, both excellent choices. Excellent choices, Hoppo. We also got a comment on Facebook from Alana Gibson, who says, Favorite hot film, Do the Right Thing. Favorite cold film, Fargo. What's going on? Those are exactly the same suggestions that Hoppo has. You, you know what's so happening we- here? We're bringing people together through the <laughs> podcast. I think we just found two soulmates. This is pretty serendipitous. Yeah. It's just like the film Serendipity. Yeah. It's always got a bit about films. Um, yeah, I was wondering when I first saw this, I was like, uh, is this Hoppo? Um, have we been misgendering Hoppo as a man the whole time and th- yeah. just assuming he's a man because... Everyday patriarchy. Well, it's first, yeah, there's that. We're both, you know, sexist because of that. Also, <laughs> this is a very male-oriented... It's very blokey. Very blokish, sort of laddie, lad bants kind of podcast, as I'm yeah. sure anyone would attest. Um, and uh, But then I checked the profile picture of Hoppo on Twitter, and there's a man in the picture and a, and a sort of large moomin. Uh, but that's probably not him. Um, so... <laughs> <laughs> what if he's a boomin? That'd be incredible. <laughs> Well, it could be. It could be a. Per- it's quite big, so it's possible that it's a person a man in, a, in a the man- moomin. It could someone, be a woman in the a moomin. woman in a moomin suit. Could be a suit. Lana Gibson in the moomin suit. 
<laughs> but even what? so, I think that would be like fair enough of us to have assumed he was a man based on that, based on that image. Well, these people could be men for each other. They both gave the same answer. You know what we should do is maybe throw out a few questions every week. And yeah, then and then just see, see, see it's what like, the basically like. this becomes match.com and see if they have a compatibility of over like sixty percent or whatever it is. Oh need. yeah. Yeah, yeah. The sort of okay cupid test that they yeah, do. Exactly. That's a good point. Maybe we should say, um, if you're listening, guys, neither of you check the other's social you know, just, <laughs> you stay in your respective zones of Twitter and and Facebook. Don't cross over, so yeah. you're not you're not you're not checking notes. Maybe we'll drop a few more questions in. We win out of it, we get some more stuff to read out. Uh, <laughs> and you potentially of, and you pr- presumably will get a soulmate um out of it and then maybe we can host a uh speed dating event <laughs> <laughs> a bit later on in the in the in the the next few months well i do know that um sean hannity the insane fox guy yeah. has his own dating website it's oh, like Han- hannity dating or something yeah, I seem to but maybe it. that's what we should get into we should be branching film, into film chat dating film chat dating absolutely i don't see why not yeah I just think that all the men and all the women who listen to the podcast would probably get probably, on. Yeah, they're probably single, aren't they? Probably, probably. Listen, if you listen <laughs> to this podcast, let's be honest. Let's be honest, mate. You're probably single. <laughs> you're probably looking for love. <laughs> you're, you're feeling a void. There's a void that you're feeling by listening to this. So. It's a void, mate, isn't it's it? Probably, it's, a, it's a crutch. <laughs> okay. Then it's probably a romantic one. So it would be a shame, anyway. We'd lose all our listeners if this scheme was successful. They yeah. stop listening. Well, we'll see how it pans out. I don't know. It could go in a number <laughs> of different ways, all this. Um, but thank you both for uh, writing into us. It's always delightful to hear from our listeners. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Superhero films announced. Casting rumours leaking out. M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated. Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated. Meryl Streep's Oscar tipped. Matt Damon's in a viral vid. Michael Bay's made a mint. That's the news that's fit to print. Hey, do you like Jim Jamush movies? You bet I do. I've seen one of them. I thought it was I thought it was pretty okay. He's been making movies for a while now. He's a bit of an art house darling. It feels like he's been on a pretty strong run of films at the moment. Um, Patterson was very very good and hugely acclaimed. And his previous film before that, Only Lovers Left Alive, was also met with claps and cheers <laughs> where it played. Um, and he is lining up a new film. It is called The Dead Don't Die. And according to Bill Murray... That is a good name. It sounds like that SNL sketch about English gangster movies. Where it's like, <laughs> the, do dead, you, do, the dead don't die. Do don't round the run run. Yeah. The dead don't die. News about this film has come from Bill Murray, who's going to star in the film, and he has revealed that it's going to be a zombie movie. He says, Jim Jamoose has written a zombie script that's so hilarious as a cast of great actors. Rosie Perez, Daniel Craig, Adam Driver. It's entitled The Dead Don't Die and it shoots in the summer. But no, I will not play a zombie. That's all the information we have about it. Has he has he done like straight up comedies before, uh, Jarmusch? Well, it depends. Like, I mean, obviously, you know, humorous. He's done humorous films. This sounds like it would have a broader tone. I mean, if they yeah. announced the same thing and it was like a Mel Brooks esque film. Yeah, yeah. You know, it sounds like it might fit that kind of mold. Yeah, his comedy is more just kind of like absurdist and a bit weird. I don't know. It's it's that kind of anti comedy that's funny. I don't know. <laughs> like some of it, some of the stuff I find kind of I've never laughed out loud at anything. Yeah. Been a bit amused. There's like a funny dog in Patterson. If you see it in like critic screenings, are they sort of belly laughing? Yeah, of course. It's the, it's the right type of humour. Because they're all those snobs. Those wankers. Toffee nosed yeah. wankers. Um, but yeah, I mean, he made that vampire movie. It was pretty good. It's quite funny because his, in his films, everyone does seem a bit like half dead already. So I feel like zombies <laughs> is quite a good fit for him because yeah. they're all a bit slow and laconic and. 
the camera doesn't move very fast and it's all sort of like you know you have to be in the right mood for one of his movies and sometimes yeah when he's not firing all cylinders it risks being tedious in a, in a display of cinematic ignorance that's almost as bad as when I confess to have never seen a Takeshi Miike film before. Um, I've only seen the one Jim Jarmusch movie, Broken Flowers, and it was many years ago when it came out, and it kind of looked like it was another Lost in Translation-esque film about a sad Bill Murray wandering about talking to people. Um, and I thought it was like, all right. Well, it didn't seem like that amazing. Uh, but yeah, maybe you really vouched for uh, Patterson. So yeah, was, um, I've seen... A- you know, dead, in, dead man's in a, good. He's in a great creative place. He's in a great place. Well, he takes a lot of time. You know, it seems like a man doesn't rush anything. Dead man is that uh, Johnny Depp movie, right? Yeah. Any zombies in that? It's called Dead Man. No. Nah. There's no. I don't know. It's quite funny because he's like he's almost a genre unto himself. Like it's very. He's got a very distinctive style. Yeah. But he just seems to be going for every kind of like pulpy genre thing. He's like vampire movie, zombie movie. Like he's done a western, samurai a, film, samurai film. I'm sure he'll make a sci-fi film before he's done. Before yeah. he's done on this earth. <laughs> <laughs> before he lays to rest. Yeah. Before he shovels off this mortal coil. No, no. It sounds, uh, sounds yeah, like an intriguing project. Yeah, and I like the idea of Daniel Craig doing another non-Bond thing because he was really good in Logan. Obvious looking. relish on his face that he's not playing fucking Bond. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he looked so delighted to be in Logan. You could well, just, his enthusiasm was coming off the screen. Well, you know, he said, like, I'd rather slit my wrist and do a Bond movie. Yeah, now he's doing one. <laughs> now he's doing a Bond movie. And do you reckon he just, like, he will, he will do that and it will just be undead in the film? Oh, shit. Oh, I thought you were going to say it's going to be this Christine esque thing where he's, like, dramat- <laughs> dramatically kills himself on the set of Bond. They forced him to do another one. I, yeah. I saw some uh, interview he did with a uh, clip from an interview with Colbert where like they just they they played the clip of yeah. him announcing that he'd rather slit his wrist than do another Bond yeah. movie and he's sort of laughing it off. He's like, "Well, I just come off the set, you know. I was just kind of tired of it." It's like, okay, but is that happen for every film you ever do? Is like, it's <laughs> making a film is such a grueling experience that every time you step off the set, when like, I made I Tomb- <laughs> this again, when I made Tomb Raider, I was like, I'd rather fucking chew my own balls off, step foot. On a film set again. When I made flashbacks of a fool, <laughs> <laughs> I said to myself, never again. That's one of the great dumb titles of all time, I think. That's a shit, it's a shit title. Flashbacks of a fool. And not a very good film either. That's yeah, rubbish. Absolutely rubbish. Remember a bit in that movie where young Daniel Craig is talking to Felicity Jones, who's a love interest, and she's like, how do you decide who you like more? David Bowie or Brian Ferry? I was like, I'm going to stop you right there. The answer is clearly <laughs> Bowie. Bowie. Get out of there. Why are you still in love with this girl? She's a fucking moron. Bad, bad musical dilemmas. Yeah. I mean, some of Roxy music stuff is good, but no comparison. Yeah. Eject that DVD <laughs> instantly. So we have discussed a little bit in the past uh, this project, I believe, but it is now um, getting a bit more concrete and it has a release date. This is the Joker film starring Joaquin Phoenix to be directed by Todd Phillips. So there is a um, total chaos in the uh, DC cinematic universe. No one knows what's no going one, on. No one knows what's going on there. All their films that come out, everybody hates, except for <laughs> Wonder Woman. <laughs> and they don't make very much money, and they keep um, hiring and firing different creative heads and announcing and axing various different projects, and everyone is highly confused. Um, and uh, in basically adding to the confusion is the fact that they now they have, they have two Joker films in the works, um, there was announced in June a uh, spin-off film starring Jared Leto, who obviously played the Joker in Suicide Squad, to general critical disdain and bafflement. 
it was an un- unbelievably annoying and shit performance and it, it was just like yeah. the whole take on the character seemed awful so i can see why they would want to change it but i guess like they're too you know like tied in now to that he's got a contract he's got a contract they've got to do it i don't know so they're going to do that um but there is this alternative project with joaquin phoenix it's going to be titled simply joker brilliant and it is directed by todd phillips who is the director of war dogs and uh, he directed the hangover um and due date and various other films he's sort of like got a background in comedy maybe that's what they're kind of thinking like I don't know. I don't know. It's called Joker. Get a comedy, man. Um, I'm yeah. not really sure. I haven't actually seen any of these films, uh, so I can't really comment, bad, I would say. comment on his uh, abilities as a director. Apparently, this is a dark take on the Joker character, which is, again, it's a pretty dark character, I guess. So <laughs> makes a certain amount of sense. Uh, it is produced by Martin Scorsese, and I guess it's going to have some kind of like seventies crime vibe or something. Maybe because someone watched The King of Comedy and was like, "What if that was the Joker?" I don't know. The studio describes the movie as as follows: an exploration of a man disregarded by society that is not only a gritty character study but also a broader cautionary tale. Um, which sounds odd as well. I mean. Uh, is like a gritty character study the sort of thing we want from this you know anarchic uh, wild supervillain character yeah to explain him is to kind of like diminish it slightly yeah it's like... this sort of like force of nature type dude the famous Joker origin story is uh, the most like well known one is probably the killing joke that Alan Moore comic yeah um, uh, which has got this whole uh, notion about like how um just basically going through a really tough time in, in a very compressed space can drive you insane or something like that. Yeah, everyone's one bad day yeah, away from yeah. going completely nuts. Um, but I wouldn't say that there's like that has like broader social implications necessary. In what way? In what way is it going to be a cautionary tale? I mean, the sort of red flag that that threw up for me is the idea that this, they're going to make some kind of movie that's like a falling down esque thing about uh alienated modern man you know it's like it's like fight club or something and he's like this guy who hates his life and then goes crazy and reacts against the system or, well know. it's weird because this sort of heath ledger depiction of the joker became a bit of a sort of poster like an iconic thing for like a certain type of like incel that's true weirdo actually, that's true actually they're <laughs> so, obsessed with the joker aren't they so it's like, a bit like right, the alt-right online guy yeah exactly so it's a bit like the alt-right online retconned joker it's like they're all just a, a guy who no one had sex with him and was listening to him, so he became the Joker. It's like yeah, there was too much like, feminism in the yeah. It's like fan fiction. Some of those one of the Heath Ledger worshippers would have made. Sounds like yeah. I do find it hilarious how there's two films, and but one of them has one of, like the foremost actor of generation in one of them. It's pretty unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like I don't know. No, it's ridiculous. It's uh, it'd be like they made another Hawkeye movie, but Daniel Day Lewis was playing Hawkeye. Jerry would have been like, "What the fuck?" Like. <laughs> what yeah what is the best actor in the world playing the role i was supposed to play he's like a most recently best known for sending condoms to his like co-stars and stuff it is a bit like we need like a sort of intense like methody actor to play the role but like oh we, we got the wrong one like uh why do we go for, like we should have got phoenix he's the one you want yeah yeah he's intense and methody but he doesn't but he's send... not a complete prick yeah exactly <laughs> he's not a complete and not a prick I mean, his casting does make it interesting. Like, yeah. if it wasn't, he's by far the most interesting part of that story. Like, yeah, yeah, hundred percent. If it was just some of, if, if it was just like Jared Leto or somebody else, you'd be like, Ugh. Todd Phillips. I think, and even though his background's in comedy, 
I haven't seen War Dogs. This is all speculative and reductive, and I have no basis to make this claim. Sorry, man. This is our space. We can say whatever it's we want. Space. But he just strikes me as another sort of David Eyre, James Mangoldy type of director, where it's all a bit macho. Like, The Hangover's a bit like that, and War Dogs looked a bit like, ah, oh, I've seen Goodfellas and Wolf of Wall Street. I'll just get the guy from Wolf of Wall Street, and there'll be some crazy gun-running thing. And, like, yeah, I don't know. His, his whole vibe, I think, is just a bit off. Yeah. Um... Yeah, not I mean, very scientific, but his vibe is off. Okay, <laughs> I uh, I'm kind of hoping in a way that it, it's going to be like a total disaster because they have special. Uh, the whole studio has specialized in the last few years in producing like epic car crashes. <laughs> so, you know, let's hope it's a real, real stinker. Yeah. Simon and Danny both watched the film and they decided to record a few opinions on the things they saw. You're gonna hear them in a moment or so. There could be angry disagreements, but their views are normally quite close. Let's join review. Share between two podcast brothers. Do they let one another speak or do they interrupt each other? The light is on. The guys are in. So let the chat begin. Start talking now. So. Incredibles 2, coming a mere 14 years after the first Incredibles, it picks up exactly where the Incredibles left off, with the Underminer attacking the city. Uh, but things move on from there and aren't really resolved in that plot line. <laughs> so the family befriends uh, the Windeva Corporation. No, the... It's called... The, the, it's just called the Deva The Deva Corporation. Somewhere. So the guy's called Windeva, weirdly. Yeah. yeah. And he is a big superhero fan, and he him and his sister want to rehabilitate the image of superheroes so that the laws banning them will be repealed and everyone can go back to being out in the open and being worshipped by the stupid humans. Um, and part of this plan involves Elastigirl sort of fronting the campaign to bring them back. Where Mr. Incredible, the man, has to stay at home what? and help like the family. And like you know, they've got the teenage daughter's having some problems and Dash needs help with his maths and Jack-Jack has got all these crazy powers and meanwhile Lassigar is battling some anonymous villain called the Screen Slaver who keeps on turning up and lecturing people about how they like screens or something. Here is a clip of <laughs> Frozone voiced by Samuel Jackson um, coming around to help Mr. Incredible and Mr. Incredible demonstrating that Jack-Jack is hard to look after because of his crazy powers. Looks normal to me. When did this start happening? Since Helen got the job. I assume she knows. Are you kidding? I can't tell her about this. Not while she's doing hero work. Girl, come on. Leave the saving of the world to the men? I don't think so. I've got to succeed so she can succeed. So we can succeed. I get it, Bob. I get it. When was the last time you slept? Who keeps track of that? Besides, he's a baby. I can handle it. I got this handle. So... You good then? You got everything under control, right? What the? Cookie, cha cha want a cookie? Num num cookie, cha cha want num 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 cookie, cookie. You're not cookie. Oh my god! Cookie. Wow. Okay. Okay. So he can still hear you from, from the other dimension. Yeah. That is freaky. Yes. So, uh, Danny and I have a number of gripes about this film. <laughs> so maybe we should start with the things that we liked about it. Kick off with the positives. It is a um, beautifully animated, like all of Pixar's movies. Um, it's some of it is like borderline photorealistic for the sort of objects and uh, 
uh, you know, the world around them, which is, um, I can't quite decide whether it's jarring with the overtly cartoonish style of the main characters or whether it just makes things look really crisp and cool. Yeah. Um, but it's, yeah, there's obviously a huge, huge amount of effort that's been put into creating it. Um, and a lot of the action scenes are really well done, I think. There's some particularly cool stuff with Elastigirl and her elastic powers. There's like one sequence with a runaway train that she's following on a bike and like the bike kind of splits into two and she uses it the two different parts and her elastic body to kind of swing herself around places and like catapult herself and looks very good <laughs> yeah and there's a lot of like cool little inventive um action touches and it's actually quite cool how well it works as a pure action movie like animated action movies is not really that much of a thing but this makes up makes quite a good um argument for them really um and uh so like all of all of those sequences that are very kind of kinetic and exciting um and slickly done i thought were really enjoyable and it's sort of broadly i mean i think if you just want to go in and like settle in and let the bright colors entertain you or whatever like a sort of fun kids movie about some superheroes i think it basically does that yeah um but in in most respects i think it's a definite step down from the first incredibles movie yeah i mean it's almost like a self-reviewing film in that it's 14 years later but literally nothing's moved on and it kind of rehashes a lot of the first movie in a way which feels a bit lazy and a bit meandering. Like the middle act of the movie kind of really drags and becomes a sort of almost like a sitcom TV show yeah. where it feels like all the scenes he had ideas for in the first movie but couldn't fit in, he just put into the sequel. And things are set up and not really paid off. And yeah, there's a general tone of elitism which was present in the first movie, which has just become more apparent. I don't know if it's because he made Tomorrowland, which is like some sort of Anne Rand kids movie. Yeah. And so Brad Bird's politics have become more overt. But just this attitude that like superheroes are all morally perfect and the stupid humans don't understand. They should thank their lucky stars that these gods have deemed themselves <laughs> worthy of saviour. And whereas uh, anybody like smart or uh, like powerful in a real sense like they've accumulated power you know nouveau rich characters who are good at technology and stuff are They're evil bad. evil yeah and it also it's not as clever as the first movie the first movie took a lot of like the whole thing about like no capes and you got me monologuing and stuff it kind of like did a good job of sidestepping those kind of cliches whereas this one seems to have like forgotten all that well it's very odd there's a really odd sequence in it with like one of the most like unnecessary and jarring villain monologues i've ever seen uh and coming right off this film which explicitly highlighted how that was stupid and here it's just in the movie and they don't even acknowledge it which seemed very odd but it just like it felt a lot it felt to me even though it's made uh like a decade and a half later like it was rushed out yeah and it just in like um it was you know brad bird like had a like a couple of years where he didn't really know what he was doing in his career or something he was like i guess now i'll do incredibles too and he kind of like didn't really have a great idea for the story and didn't really know what he wanted to say and i think part of the problem is that um the first incredibles film you know has this setup about how superheroes used to be a thing and then they got banned by the government and they're kind of you know uh they're just living ordinary lives or whatever and then they kind of get back to being superheroes which is a way to set up a lot of like funny gags about people with superpowers dealing with like everyday prosaic lives and stuff uh and then you know creates for a satisfying conclusion when they all get their costumes on and they fight evil and stuff you know and that works really effectively 
um but it's not like a big question like no one really is interested in the like the, the fundamental legal or moral questions about this like you've bought a ticket to see a superhero movie obviously there are things that are problematic about people who have extraordinary powers acting with no consequences or control or oversight whatsoever you know we just had this we just had this out in captain america's civil war in 2016 um uh which at least you know presents the two things as like it's like a legitimate question where some good guys are on one side and some good guys are on the other or something um but this this for some reason the sequel is still very concerned with this and he doesn't realize it's like you know it was it was an effective device for creating a fun superhero adventure in the first film but in the in the sequel it seems to be the the centerpiece of the movie again as though what we really want is an ongoing debate about this thing like what i want is just this 1950s style like fun action film about like a family who have to do their homework and also fight crimes yeah like (laughs) it's it's so odd to me that it spends so much time in this and it's like it's very dialogue heavy i don't know I would love to compare it with like Pixar's other movies, um, but for something that's so visually sumptuous, I feel like they spend a lot of time just sitting around and talking, and they talk like very rapid fire, and it's almost like they're aware that this is boring shit, and you just got to get through it for whatever reasons. Like they've just set them, they've written themselves into a corner, and they have to have these like long conversations. But this happens a lot, and 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 when they're not talking about whether superheroes should be legal. Uh, there's this stuff with the, like Mr. Incredible who's at home looking after the kids and he's not very good at it because he's the dad. Um, and that just feels so dated as a, the whole like mechanism of it. It's this real sitcom style premise well, from like 40 years well, ago. Well, that's the thing. It's like, it's it's too much like the 50s. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, it's like, this would have been, I'm sure it's been funny in the 50s. But Yeah, it's like he's just watched the Jeffersons or the Flintstones too much. And he's like, I love the Art Deco style and also the politics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it just, there's something really odd about scenes in which he feels really bad because um his wife is in the like limelight and is being really successful and having fun while he's changing nappies or whatever and it just makes him seem like a really retrograde guy you know who's just got really old-fashioned views about marriage in a way that's just bad yeah it's like what's the deal why are you like that you're just being a dick about it (laughs) why why are you like this and has he never looked after the kids previously are we supposed to assume that she always did it the whole time before they they were both professional superheroes weren't they weren't they already sharing the work doesn't make sense i don't know um yeah and so there's way too much of that stuff as well which isn't like it's just not like that funny uh yeah, yeah i think the by having it literally start off to the end of the first movie it kind of like sets itself a challenge it can't really meet because everyone's arcs have just been completed and so uh where do you take like um violet she was you know the whole metaphor of the first movie is that like the mom was stretched literally she had to do a million things and she was really stretchy the dash is hyperactive and he literally can run really fast like violet's shy so she can become invisible and jack jack is like a baby which has a million different needs and problems and so he has a million different powers <laughs> yeah and the dad is just strong i don't know yeah. schlubby <laughs> um but like the whole the first movie she was like shy and nervous at the beginning and at the end she's not and so it's like and if the movie starts immediately afterwards like what has nowhere to go all it can do is just has to reverse the previous movie's ending literally to like give it space and i read this is a very nerdy reference i'm gonna make here but i uh when i wasn't when i wasn't banging some chicks i was reading this interview (laughs) with uh stephen moffat the Doctor Who showrunner Sherlock guy yeah. and talking about his attitude about two parters and how he's read a bunch of them obviously and like only the first one he wrote 
like the second part began like literally concluded the cliffhanger and like from then on there's always a cliffhanger but like the second episode begins in some other place and he made this point which i think is very true is like if if your writing is working your audience should be with your characters like you know there and there and then you go and live your life for a week and you come back and the characters are still there so you've moved on and they're just still hanging about there so it instantly puts you ahead of them in a way which uh can be a real problem to get people back into the episode whereas, whereas if you start the episode the second part somewhere else you're like okay you like intrigue them in yeah. and then you resolve it later and i was like that is a smart bit of advice which does not reflect your patchy outcome but um <laughs> i think it's, it's very true like you know we've, we've all we're all 14 years older and they're still doing this shit it's like yeah i mean they kind of do that in this movie since the very first scene is uh involves like tommy some kid whose character to be honest with you i'd forgotten yeah but, yeah, but it like but it doesn't matter it doesn't like, mean it anything. doesn't mean anything yeah it's not saying or doing anything um and uh i think the general the movie's like general lack of a reason to exist or the fact that it doesn't really have anything to say um is also a problem with the nominal villain of the film this screen slaver character yeah and given that the movie's got this kind of retro futuristic uh, 1950s aesthetic why is the villain um, uh, aimed at like kids today looking at their smartphones? The characters in the the show, uh, the movies, don't do that. Yeah, yeah. So like the whole, uh, the, the, they're really there's this whole speech basically that comes from the the villain about how like everyone is stuck to their screens and they don't they don't absorb the world around them. They just deal with everything and like via the screens, or whatever. And uh, you know, I get it. I you know, you probably watched a lot of Black Mirror episodes while you were writing this movie or something. <laughs> but it's like it doesn't fit the world in which this yeah. story takes place because it's a very kind of tactile world where people are living in the moment. They're not all staring at their phones all the time, and that doesn't. That's not like you know, he didn't build that into the rest of the movie. It's not like the beginning of the film starts with them all staring at their phones while something bad happens or whatever. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's not. It just feels like totally extraneous, and so that entire like that whole thing feels completely random you just replace that villain with like anything um and uh yeah it's just i don't know it just felt like a real misfire like he didn't really know what he was doing and uh just kind of strung it along a bit um yeah it's an odd it felt like it, it felt like an episode of a tv series basically yeah i think that's but true. Not, not a very strong one but it's just so odd that it's like such a long time after the previous one it's like i really needed to wait to have the right idea and it was like, well, I'm either I'm going to die before I die, <laughs> so I guess I better just do it. Yeah. Disappointing. Disappointing. Dis- I'm, I'm, disappointed. So, like, does the original Incredibles have a lot of like? Has that garnered a lot of new fans over the years amongst people who are actually kids? Because it's weird making when you make a sequel to a children's film such a long time later. It's impossible to have been a child when the first movie came out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then watch this movie as a child. I guess so. Yeah, must have done. It yeah. must have done. I must assume. have done. Yeah, but it's just funny, isn't it? That's like, hmm. it's a kids movie, so you, presumably you want the audience of children who watched your previous film to also be watching this, roughly having the same experience. But instead, it's like, remember when you were a baby and you watched the first Incredibles movie and loved it? It's like an odd. That's an odd perspective to have on the sequel to this one. That's true. But I was Jack Jack in the first film, and now I'm <laughs> Frozen. <laughs> <laughs> Something that changed his life What he listened to When John Cusack made a mistake For his future wife What did she listen to And when Michael Madsen Cut a guy's ear off What was he dancing to And when Tim Robbins Showed Shawshank that he had enough Which record did he choose 
So that's our take on The Incredibles 2. Other takes are available. I listened to uh, the Kermode review and he liked it a lot. He thought it was better than the first movie. He liked the Jack-Jack <laughs> stuff. He just thought Jack-Jack was really fucking nuts. He's a bizarre, bizarre man. I will say that the Jack-Jack raccoon fight, I enjoyed that. It made me laugh. Kind of like a little Looney Tunes bit of wordless fun. Yeah. Very enjoyable. Anyway, sorry, I shouldn't say that. My review's over. She couldn't be... The short was good. I preferred the short to the main feature. The bow. Yeah, yeah the yeah. little uh, dumpling boy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but that was good. The little dumpling boy, the yes. The dumpling boy film, yes, I recall. <laughs> yes, I recall the little dumpling boy film. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, so uh, anyway, there there are other takes as, as well that are out there. And in The Guardian, a guy called Alex Clark, who is a... Um, writer on culture for the guardian and the observer he has a take of the incredibles 2 it reminded him of, of current affairs in some way danny and oh, i was wow. wondering do you want to guess uh what it is that uh incredibles 2 reminded him of trump correct <laughs> <laughs> uh correct well actually specifically um it reminds him of the dark world of steve bannon so he sees the so in the incredibles 2 i don't know if we made this clear but it's like the villain kind of hypnotizes people with screens and uh, he sees this as a kind of metaphor for fake news or something like right. that. Right. Um, and he, he's basically saying that superheroes are kind of, they wouldn't, they'd be bad. You know, if Steve Bannon was in The Incredibles, he'd hate the superheroes. Uh, he writes, uh, superheroes are a nightmare if your plan is to create an all-encompassing culture war in which an atomized society is mobilized to fight for self, the family, the neighborhood against the alien and the other. If your plan has a touch of the Steve Bannons about it, the superheroes need to be stopped. He says, perhaps I was watching with virtual reality glasses of my own. Glasses that saw a week in which a right-wing American tourist told a British radio producer that the jail Tommy Robinson was the backbone of a country that would wither without him, and an American president appears to toy with treason live on television in the service of a world leader whose security forces had likely recently murdered a British citizen. This is Screams Incredibles 2. Yes. To me. And he concludes, but my afternoon of escapism ended up as a surreal re-immersion in these strange times. I emerged from the darkness to yet more reality-resistant news in the form of a Trumpian wood that should have been a wouldn't. Say Trump announced like that he'd used the opposite word, meaning the opposite meaning of what he said. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and revelations of electoral fraud. Incredibles 2 ended naturally with the triumph of good over evil. It even reclaims technology, turning the extraordinary inventions of the villains against them. It's unlikely that either the film or this interpretation will find favor with the likes of Bruiser Bannon or the Sunbed King himself. That's a, I guess that's Trump. Uh, but you then, mean Trump's not going to watch Incredibles 2? Trump, if he watched The Incredibles 2, can you imagine how he'd feel watching it? He'd be, he'd be like, oh no. This is awful. But this is skewering me. Aww. The story about the family and the you know their japes and the fact that he's like the dad's having to change the baby's nappy and stuff. Um, yeah, just bizarre. Just goes to show that you can find Trump in absolutely anything whatsoever, even a film which has clearly got nothing to do with it. <laughs> it's kind of like, yeah, that's not what it's that's not what it's about. That'd be my take on that take. <laughs> If anything, the take is about elitism and how technology unfairly sort of levels the playing ground in a way which Brad Bird seems to be against. Yeah, so it must, I would say it that's must the political be, must take. Be destroyed. In, yeah, uh... yeah. It's like you should just you have your God-given gifts, and if you try and sort of acquire more, that's wrong. Well, that's the that's the thing that just seems so odd about him um, really hammering away at this debate about the position of superheroes in society. 
because obviously people do um have debates like this sort of debate goes around around superheroes generally a lot about like vigilantism and and stuff like that but in in this particular setting it's just not appropriate you know yeah. i just don't think anyone can should have to engage with that question or care about it it just would be fine if society if the end of the first movie had resulted in them being rehabilitated and then they just have some other adventure that just doesn't even bring that up you know well, what's kind of weird about like um, it just position like the whole thing positions them as different to everyone else like that's rather than part of society yeah what's kind of weird about the incredibles is like they're not actually that heroic like it's kind of portrayed that like their daring do is just them like getting their kicks yeah rather than like <laughs> them it's like it's true when, yeah. like mr crow like he like in the first one him and frozone go out and like it's like they're drinking buddies but they go and like save people but just to like for the thrill of it but then like he's stuck in his corporate job. It's like, if you really cared about someone, why aren't you working for like a Goodwill Foundation or something? You know <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's no m- moral backbone to Mr. Incredible. It's just like a fucking moron who likes punching people. But well, in, yeah. And in this movie, Elastic Girl is only fighting crime in order to rehabilitate the image of superheroes. Yeah. And she's like really excited about the prospect of like showing off her cool powers and everyone loving her. Why doesn't he become a cop or something? If he really wants, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. That would be a really funny uh, next incredible sequel. They all become cops. <laughs> well, you know, if you really care about public service, yeah. why don't you pursue, pursue that as your civilian job? Like, uh, makes no sense. No, it's true. They aren't. They aren't especially heroic. But like, yeah, you know, I, I think because that's all. It's all in the kind of like fun, frivolous spirit. Yeah, yeah. It would be okay if it didn't have this need to try to like try to tell you that it has a message of some kind when it doesn't really. But maybe that's maybe that's the sort of because it because it's obviously clearly trying to say something maybe that's why people can like glom on to it and uh, suggest that it's all about trump it's all about bloody trump everything's about trump everything is about trump every single film that comes out is just about trump but especially incredibles too um anyway join us next week next week what will be what will we we be talking we got to see mission impossible fallout right the critics going fucking bananas for it yeah i cannot i'm really excited for mission impossible fallout Described as a sort of all-time action classic or something by Robbie Collin or whatever it was. All the buzz is like, it's the best action film since Fury Road, which is a high bar. That obviously. is a very high bar, yeah. So, uh, I mean, not as good, but but the best one since, so... So I'm very, I'm, I'm genuinely excited for Mission Impossible Fallout. Looks like, it looks like it'll be a blast. Um, yeah, and until then, have a great, have a great week, everyone. Um, let's all pray for rain uh, before we uh, shrivel up and oh, die. Oh man, I've got, I've got a wedding to go to uh not weekend rain but like yeah, sunday rain. sunday rain yeah sunday rain pray for sunday rain yeah all right guys okay, bye bye let's do it ladies and gentlemen mr thompson will not speak to you tonight his time is up for years you've asked who was john galt you've asked that question in despair and resignation as factories closed goods became scarce jobs disappeared. Your lives are becoming more difficult as the life force of your world is draining away. You have asked that question without expecting an answer. I'm here to answer it. This is John Galt speaking. Mr. Thompson won't tell you the truth about the crisis in your world. I will. Have you noticed that as everything around you seems to decline, one thing still grows? It is the power of your rulers. None of their plans and directives have solved your problems or made your life better. 
The only result has been their increased control over you at the cost of your freedom. Do you know why? You gave them the power. They called for your sacrifice, and you thought it was noble. They said if you worked for yourself and your family, that you were selfish and uncaring, and they made you feel ashamed. The world you are living in is the world they wanted. Leave them to it. Those who have left you are eager to build a better world, a world of freedom and opportunity, a world based on mutual respect. In that world, you will rise in the morning with the spirit you knew in childhood, the spirit of eagerness and adventure, and the confidence that the world is what it is and is there for you to discover. In that world, you will not receive alms, nor pity, nor forgiveness of sins, but honor, respect, and justice. Don't let the fire go out spark by irreplaceable spark in confusion and despair. Be sure of your path. The world you desire can be one. It exists. It is real. It is possible. It is yours.